Yeah, we're doing a, a part two of our leadership, and there's just something about that desire to be a leader. And um, I, I was chatting to one of the moms of the kids that came here on Friday night when we did our youth, and we spoke about leadership. And he arrives home and he says, Mom, I can be a leader. Do you know that I have leadership within me? And, and she was just blown away by how this young guy arrives home and there's something of this desire to actually say, I have influence. I, I have the, the opportunity to love people, lead people, and, and bless people. And, and, and it's, it's within me. God created me with this. And, and there's something of that that I'm hoping for us, by the time we leave here today, we have the stirring of actually we created with purpose. Um, I was watching a, a, a little kind of a highlight reel of the movie The Blind Side. And there's this moment where this guy, the premise of the movie is he gets adopted into this family. He's a big guy and he starts playing football. And, and he, he comes from kind of a down and out based on a true story. And there's this moment where his new dad is the football coach. And they're trying to get him to understand just his role on the team. And the mom walks onto the field and the dad says, what are you doing? This is my practice. She says, just give me a moment. And she calls him over here. She says, you know how you protect our family? You know that you will do anything for us? Well, take this guy over here. And she grabs the quarterback by his mask and pulls him into the middle. She says, him, you protect him as if he's me. So if someone's coming for him, you protect him as if he's me. She takes this little guy and she grabs him. He says, and this little Oompa Loompa over here, she says, you protect him as if he's your little brother. He says, but what about the rest of the family? She says, no, they, they're here too, and you protect them as well. But you give yourself for them. And as I was listening to the words of the song, I'll never know the cost. And I was thinking, we haven't been saved into just a good life for ourselves. We've been saved into a family. And she's explaining to this young man, this is your family. And then there's the seed on the field where the, the other team is heckling him. And the dad says to him, he says, he says to the other team, this is my boy and I will do whatever it takes for him. And this young man goes onto the field and he calls a play that was an unorthodox play. And he goes and he grabs this guy that was heckling him and he runs him off the field. And they go and they score a touchdown because he protected the, quarter, the quarterback. He protected the man that he was there to protect because this is his family. I was thinking, we've been saved into a family. And are we willing to do what it takes to protect those around us, to, to raise them up, to, to see the fullness of, of what God's doing in their lives be realized? Because we actually recognize that this isn't our family. We were left isolated and alone, but God in His grace adopted us in and what a privilege it is for us to stand and we get to be that guy in the lives of people and we get to be the quarterback in the lives of people and we get to be the umpa lumpa in the lives of people. But that's the family that we've been, we've been saved into. So I want to share on this and I, and I want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to touch some topics. I want to plant some seeds and my hope is that we get inspired to do something about this. A desire to inquire more and search deeply for more for what God has in store. And um, I heard a, a, a leadership thing a little while ago, and I think I might have even shared this one day. But 
but they talk about the difference between motivating and inspiring. And motivating, you have to pull a person through, but you inspire a person. Something within them wells up, and they go in, in search of it because there's an internal desire. And we know as Christians that internal desire is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's a little guy, leadership is within me. There's an inspiring, an inside out that comes through and manifests in his life. And he says, actually, I have what it takes. Actually, God's created me good enough to do what he's called me to do. And that's amazing. So, being the, the punny guy that I am, I wanted to start off with leadership and breaking it up into lead a ship. So, a captain leads a ship. And, and what does that mean? Well, yesterday we went to Hazelmere Dam and we, we saw quite an interesting feat because we were standing there on the, on the bank and next minute this boat started coming past us. But there was no one on the boat. And the boat was just navigating itself along the water. We're like, what is happening? And it turns out some really clever guy has converted this into a remote control boat. But it's an adult, like, fully equipped boat that you can be in. And he turned the boat around and he brought it back. And it was quite an amazing feat. And I'm pretty sure this is his entertainment, is a party trick to go to the different places and ride his captainless boat all around the dam and brings it back. But the reality is, every boat needs a captain. And whether that boat is just you on your own, or whether you are leading a battleship into war, a boat needs someone who knows where the boat is going. So a captain understands the vision. Now, there's times when we are captains of the ship that we, are, that we are, are leading, but when it comes to the body of Christ, there's only one captain, and that's Jesus. And he brings about the, the, the vision through the power of the Holy Spirit, revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the church in Philadelphia, to the church in Laodicea, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Ephesus. This is what's happening. This is the vision. This is where there's room for improvement. Our captain is Jesus in everything that we do. But then there's times when we have the responsibility to lead people. And, and, and we're going to lead them well. And we need to know where we're going. Yesterday I went to a shopping center and there was a guy having to push start a bucky. And there were one or two guys with him. And, and as I was preparing and as, as I was going through some of this, this image came to my mind. Because there was a driver of that vehicle and that driver needed to know where he was going. But there was a group of us pushing. And if we were pushing in different directions, that car would have gone nowhere. If we were all pushing in opposite directions, we could have pushed till our, 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 our every fiber of energy in our body was dissipated. And that car would have gone nowhere. But because we all pushed together in the same direction, the car started and it drove off. And the driver steered it in the direction it needed to go. But there was something of a unity in the vision that led us to the point of realizing the goal, and that was to get this vehicle started. And, and there are times when we are on people's ships, and there are times when we're leading ships. There are times when that ship is just us, and we might be on a rowboat, but it's okay because there's a leadership required to bring this about. There needs to be an ability to steer. If the driver didn't know how to steer, where would the car have gone? If a captain doesn't know how to steer the boat, where does the, go the boat go? So the steering is the gifting and the equipping required to get us from A to B. 
So I want to kind of read through my rock scripture of the morning, and that's 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 16. So it's 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 16, and the title of this is A Good Servant of Christ Jesus. So for me, if Jesus says that as he serves, there's an example for us to follow, and the servant's not greater than the master, which we read last week, so therefore that we got to follow that example and we do as our master has done. When, when there's a title that says a good servant of Christ Jesus, I want to pay attention. Because this is breaking open what it means to follow him, the one true leader, the captain of our ship, the one who is the head of the church, the one who laid down his life for us. And it says, if you put these things before the brothers... You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. So actually, we don't put people ahead of the things of Christ. We put Christ ahead of the things of people, and then we lead people into that. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we don't place people ahead of Jesus. We place him as front, and then we go in that direction. And what we do is we bring people with us. We say, we're going to push the bucky in this direction and come push with me. And there's a unity in the pushing. There's a unity in the direction that we're going. So being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. The word trained there tells me that we can progress in our ability if we practice, if we train. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. How do we have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths? Well, we have to have a spirit of discernment to know what is irreverent and what is silly. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So it starts opening up, how do we do this? Well, we train ourselves. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So our training is actually to be effective here and it will be for effectiveness in eternity. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Then in verse 11, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct. Some versions will say in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Do we realize that it's very easy to set unbelievers an example? To set an, un, an example to an unbelieving world is not a difficult feat. We can do that in our own strength. But to set an example to believers requires a supernatural representation of Jesus. And he needs to work in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can build up, so that we can encourage, so that we can stir those around us to be more like Jesus. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. In our leadership, there will be progress if we train ourselves in the things of God. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
there's something of maturity that's required in our lives, but it, it, it flows out of our lives into the lives of those around us. So whether you're the guy that is, uh, is protecting, whether you are the quarterback, or whether you're the oompa loompa, depending on the scenario, there's something of what we're doing in our lives and the lives of the people around us that has an impact. So we need to be people who disciple, this is point number one, and people who are discipled. It's a twofold thing. So there's people speaking into our lives who are leading us, and then there's people whose lives we were speaking into and leading. There's times when we're captain of the ship, and there's times when we're on the boat, and we're listening to the captain, and we're paying attention to what the captain has to say. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. So if I take something and I entrust it to John, and John entrusts it to faithful men who then go and teach others, and then what they do is they take what they've heard and they entrust it to faithful men who are then going and teaching others, and then they take what they've heard and they entrust it to faithful men who are then going to teach others. There are moments when things are being entrusted to us. The message that we hear and there's times when we're entrusting that message into the people of those around us. There's this flow-through process that we take in discipleship. A, a friend of ours used to lead a church in Margate, and he transitioned the church, and he came and joined Cornerstone on the eldership team. And one of his friends said to him, how, if you've been leading a church, are you going to go join someone else's eldership team? And his res response is simple. I cannot lead a team if I don't know how to be on a team. I can't be captain if I don't know how to follow the instructions of a captain. So he came and he spent a season on the, on the leadership team of Cornerstone and he was on the eldership team. And then what happened was one day there was a church that needed a leader in, in Centurion and they transitioned that and they went and they started leading their own team again. But he wasn't insecure about the season when he wasn't leading a team even though he had come from a place where he was. Because in order to lead, you need to be led. In order to teach, you need to be teachable. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And I've shared this scripture with us before, but I want to remind us again. Do I consider the outcome of the way of life of leaders in my life? There are many people who will look to these guys who have these phenomenal podcasts and say, That's my leader but they've got zero relationship to consider the outcome of their way of life. Learn from them, by all means. Don't just disqualify them because you can't touch them. But leaders who we accept as leaders in our lives, let us carefully consider the outcome of way, their way of life before we accept them as a leader in our lives, those who we can follow. Because we're going to go in the same direction they go. We're going to work with them, we don't want to work against them. So I look at Marcus who leads Cornerstone and he's a leader in my life. He raised us up. He brought us onto his eldership team. He released us to plant a church. But I look at the, the, the gift of generosity he has, and I say, I want to have that in my life. I look at his open-handedness with people, and I say, I want to have that in my life. I don't want to imitate him, but I want to imitate his faith. It's different. I want to learn from him as I imitate his faith. But the second part of that is, is the outcome of my way of life worthy to be imitated? As a leader, do we look at it and think, I think people could look at us and say, man, I want to imitate their faith. 
because they've carefully considered the outcome of our way of life. So there's a challenge in us to be careful who we allow to lead us, but also let us set an example to believers in how we live, speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity, so that those who look to us, who carefully consider the outcome of the, our way of life, are able to imitate our faith. They're able to follow our example as we follow the example of Christ. Timothy, 1 Timothy 5 verse 1 to 2 says, Do not address an older man harshly, but appeal to him as a father. Speak to younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. When we lead people, there will be people who we look up to as fathers. So we look up to our leaders and we treat them as fathers. But then those who are younger than us, we treat them as brothers. If we get that balance right, there's something of that discipleship model. We look up to our mothers and we, there's a respect and an honoring. But we bring the, the younger ladies through and we treat them as sisters. So Cam and I have been having this, this back and forth this week. Because he calls me Uncle Nick. And, and, and there's an honoring in how he refers to me. And, and there's this, this, the, this respect that comes because he looks up to me. And he says, actually, Uncle Nick, I want to honor you. But I call him my buddy. Because I want to treat him as a brother. If I can treat him as a brother, I can give him the respect that raises him up to walk and lead. And if he can respect me and father, he can learn and be, and be taught. There's this there's benefit in the relationship that's of value. So I want to invite him up. You can make your way up here, my bud. But... but this passage of scripture that we're looking at says, do not be despised for your, because of your youth. He's a guy he shared with our youth, and, and, and let me introduce him to you, but he's a guy who I met a, a number of years ago, a number of years saying three, hey? How, how long have you been out of matric? Three, over three years. But we used to lead the young adults at Cornerstone, and once a year what we would do is, Shanae and I would host a dinner with the, the couple that were leading the youth to... I have the matric guys come together and basically what it would be is it would be a transitioning dinner for the guys who are now leaving youth and entering young adults to get to, to spend time with the youth leaders but also to come and meet the new young adult leaders being ourselves. And we would have this moment and that's the first time I met Cam and I remember him talking about the fact that he loved swimming and, and he had ideas of where he was going and what he was doing. The following year he landed up doing Life Team and Life Team is a year of your life. It's a discipleship course at Cornerstone. And Henny, Shanae's dad, saw something in him and said, I want him to come work with us. So he did an internship, was offered a job as a result, and came and joined Nexus. And he joined Nexus at the age of 19. 19 years old. In December, he turns 21, and he's the technical manager at Nexus. So in the space of the last 18 months, he's grown, and he leads guys who are older than him. And, and he has a responsibility in that. But there's a responsibility on him to set an example to the believers around him. In speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I just wanted him to break open the scripture a little bit. And then we'll continue from there. Thank you for the introduction. Um, um, while we were reading it this morning, uh, I just I spotted something that I actually haven't noticed before. And in verse 8 it says, 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Um, and so, while thinking about this and speaking to the youth on, on Friday, my, my, my kind of connection time and, and connection points to the youth was based on what are the qualities of being a young leader and, and do you have what it takes? Because I believe that everybody is a leader, even if they're only leading themselves. And the question I kept on asking them was, how do you take hold and how do you set an example despite your position and your age? And I feel it applies to, to us is, is that where we're situated in our families, in our work, in our environments, our communities, um, no matter what our age is, how do we set an example? And the first thing I, I felt for, for us who are a bit more mature than, than the, the young teenagers, um, despite their age, is working out convictions. And if you work out your convictions, you're able to opt not to please others, but rather to Im impact others. And the difference between this is, pleasing others is giving up your convictions to avoid conflict. But impacting others is standing firm in your convictions, even if it even if it creates a bit of conflict. And it sounds odd because I'm not saying we should create conflict, but what I'm saying is work out your conviction and stand firm. Rather stand firm and have conflict than, no, than have no conflict because we stand for nothing. And I find that as being one of the, the, the biggest impacts, the biggest influences in my life in leading others is working out my conviction, standing firm to that because I have convictions. And having convictions in, in, in a godly manner is, is re referencing back to that scripture of, it says, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And that, that to me is just, is just quite powerful. And I, I was thinking this morning, just chatting through this, getting my head around it, and, and I, I was reminded of one of my friends. Um, her name's Alexia, and she's a vegetarian. And we, we joke around and we say there's, there's actually a scripture in the Bible that, that says uh, those, those who are strong eat meat. And, and it's, it's referencing something totally different to, to actually eating meat. But working out your convictions and standing firm to that, she knows for a fact that she's a vegetarian. She's been a vegetarian for many years, but she'll never impose her conviction on another person. If you eat meat, that's, that's good for you. But she doesn't. And, and us who eat meat, don't, don't convince her and say, oh, just have a bit, just have a bit. Because we know that each other's convictions are strong. We stand in firm in our convictions. And it actually helps us walk with each other, knowing each other's convictions. And so, as a, as a leader, as someone who stands firm in their convictions, who holds strong uh, um, to what they believe in, I think it's, it's important that we don't hide away what our convictions are as well. And going back to the, to the scripture... It says, let no one despise you of your youth, but set the example to believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I feel that if we have our conviction so on display, so upfront, we are able to do that in such an easy manner. And something I also spotted this morning while we were reading through it earlier was, it says, keep a close watch on yourself and on, and on the teaching. And I was, I was actually shocked by that because I've never watch myself but what I do is I watch other people and I'm like oh, I can learn from that I can learn from that 
I can build myself up by watching other people and, and, and their ways of life and their leadership styles and, and their qualities that they put on display. But never ever do I watch myself. And I think that's a revelation for me to keep watching myself, making sure that I'm teachable as well, not just teaching. That I'm, I'm able to be soft and moldable. That Jesus can come and mold me. That I'm not just going to be the set apart piece that's done. And, and, and trying to speak into other people's lives. And I think it's so evident that, that we, we, we're reminded that we have what it takes. Jesus imparts in each of us the ability to lead. We just have to grab a hold of it. And that, that, that's what I have to share this morning on, on that. Something about that. Keep a close watch on yourself. Let our, our convictions be on display. Things of God be on display. May it stir and may it challenge. May it lead. So how do we lead well? We, we've got to grow in maturity. And uh, uh, there's two scriptures that bring about lack of maturity that I want us to quickly have a look at and, and just touch on this. Because in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3, it says, But our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. You are still of the flesh. There's something of being of the flesh versus being of the spirit. You see that in Romans 7, unpacks that. We need to be a people of the Spirit. We need to be a people who allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and allow Him to bring in us and through us so that we mature from drinking milk to eating solid food. Hebrews 5 from verse 11 to 6 verse 2 says a similar thing. And it says, About this we have much to say, for it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. May we never be a people who are dull of hearing. But may we listen because we remain teachable. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, or you ought to be leaders, those who are leading, those who are teaching, it says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained, is the word training again, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. We don't have to keep giving our lives every single week. That's elementary teaching. We need to grow from there. It says, and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those things are elementary doctrine. So actually, we're going to start maturing and we're going to start growing. And what I feel in this is anyone who is able to eat meat can feed themselves. Anyone needing milk needs to be fed. As we grow in maturity, we actually have to learn to feed ourselves. I've often heard it say, we're going to church and they're not teaching us meat. I need more meat in what I'm hearing. Well, are you feeding yourself? No. 
well then you should still be on 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 milk because you're yet to grow in maturity to the point of actually feeding yourself. How do we feed ourselves? Well, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Are we following the example of Christ? If we're following the example of Christ, what happens is we, in our relationship with Him, start to mature. And do that? Does that mean we 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 no longer need any teaching? By no means. But there's something of a self-sustenance that comes. So whose responsibility is it? Is it ours or is it God's? Well, the answer is quite simple. It's both. Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So actually, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You start feeding yourself. You start taking food and putting it in your own mouth. And in that, with fear and trembling, so you start to grow and mature. Philippians 1.6 and I, says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion as, the, as at the day of Jesus Christ. So you continue to work out your salvation at the same time he who began the good work brings it to completion. So whose responsibility? Both. We partner with Jesus in our own sanctification. There's a desire, it says there, to, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. There needs to be a will within us to grow in this. Point number four is we need to have a childlike faith. Luke 18 verse 16 to 17 says, But Jesus called them to Him, saying, Let the children come to Me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So on the one hand, I'm speaking on, we've got to be a mature people who grow and feed ourselves. On the other hand, I'm saying have a faith like a child. And, and there's something of that paradox that seems almost conflictive or contradictory. But the reality is, actually, that extreme paradox is required in leadership. I love this one verse, and it's been a verse I've been mulling over for a while, and I've, I've, I've kind of been dreaming of the day to, to share it in a sermon, and it hasn't come up yet, but, but today's the day. And Psalm 131 verse 2 says, But I have calmed and quietened my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. What a, what a weird way of putting it, like a weaned child. And as I started to break this open, I realized that a weaned child is a child that's no longer being fed milk, but a child that's being fed solid food. A weaned child is still fully dependent on the mother to provide food, yet they are able to feed themselves. And I feel that in this paradox, God's calling us to act like weaned children, have the faith of a child, but the maturity to feed ourselves. So I look at our girls and I provide them with food. They don't have to go out and forage and hunt and go look for, they don't go working so that they can afford to buy food. The food is provided for them, it's ready, it's set. So they are fully dependent on me for food. Yet I cannot remember the last time I put food in their mouths. The plate is set before them and they go, they're learning to use a knife and a fork and as they're growing, so they cut their own meat and they put that meat in their mouths. 
So if we want to be a people who eat solid food, we have to be a people who feed ourselves, but we still have to be dependent on the Father. We still have to be dependent on Jesus. We still have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit so that they can provide the food that we need to ingest. Continue to work out your salvation with fearing and trembling. He who began the good work brings it to completion. Both of those acting in, 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 in a, a simultaneous harmony is God bringing the food and us eating it. We must never be a people who are no longer dependent on the Father for the food. That we become so mature that we get to the point of saying, I've got this. I remember listening to the story, a testimony of a couple who planted a church in Australia and they started having people in their church with marital issues and they started doing marital counseling. And they said, we have no idea, we're not equipped for this, we're not skilled for this. And they sat there and what did they do? They prayed before the meeting and Holy Spirit showed up and they had wisdom and maturity in areas that they did not understand because Holy Spirit was the one that was working in them and through them. They said after about the sixth or the seventh time they became skilled at what they were doing and they stopped relying on the Holy Spirit to speak. Because they actually became so competent in their own ability to counsel that they were no longer dependent in their counseling. And they said it burnt them and they needed to go back and start becoming dependent again. Because even though they had grown in skill, they could not lose sight of their dependency. So I want to end off with this. That we need to be a people who feed ourselves. Come prepared, come ready, come expectant. Captain your ship. And captain your ship well. I often say that um, people will say, uh, first God, and then it's my, uh, my, my wife, and then it's my kids, and then it's my work, and then it's church, and, and we've got this order. And, and I've come to realize in the last while that it goes first God, and then it's me. Because I cannot be of value in the life of my family. I cannot be of value in the life of my wife, in the life of my, my children, if I myself am not in a good space with the Father. I need to prioritize my spiritual walk with Him. First God, then me. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If the love of yourself is not in a healthy space, how do we have capacity to love our neighbors? So I prioritize my relationship with God. I prioritize my walk with Him. I prioritize my, my maturity with Him so that I have capacity to give. Because I want my family to look at me and say, I want to follow his example as he follows the example of Christ. And how do I do that? By being healthy in my relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three of them. So Lord Jesus, I pray for us. I pray in the leadership roles that we fulfill, Lord Jesus. I pray in the, the, the spheres of influence, the boats that we are on, and Lord, those that we captain and those that are being captained by someone else, that we will make sure that we are on boats with captains who know what they are doing. I pray, Lord, that the people on our boats will look at us and say, oh, I want to follow where they're going. Lord Jesus, may we never lose sight of the fact that you are the head of the church. That everything we learn comes from you. But sometimes it's shared via people. You are the author and perfecter of life. You are the perfect example, the one who, who is on display for us to learn from. May we learn from you and may we reflect you well. And I pray, Father, for the people that we have the privilege of leading. 
I pray that they too will come to a place of knowing you. I pray that we will share the gospel. That we will raise the bar amongst believers. That we will keep a close watch over ourselves. I pray that you will help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And King, I pray for each one of us that you, you the one who died on the cross for our sins, that you will bring to completion the good work that you have started in each one of us. Thank you for what you are doing, for what you are busy with. Stir us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.